You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, uh, Doug and Greg Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. It is Friday, December the 8th, uh, and we're getting to holiday season here in New Orleans, which is a wonderful time to be here. Uh, I want to start, markets are pretty flat on the week, slightly up, but I wanted to start with uh, really uh, just a great uh, article by Ryan Dietrich uh, of uh, Carson Wealth. Uh, he's, his article was titled, this from a couple of days ago, Things You Don't See in a Recession. So one of the things that's just been the um, just the overarching theme, and I think this is a constant in markets, is that pessimism outweighs optimism and the pessimists always sound smarter uh when they're making their predictions and so in 2022 it was uh you know we talked about how you had ceos and cfos that were all you know 100 probability of recession in the next 12 months we had interest rates went that went from zero to five percent virtually overnight uh, calls for uh, the inability of uh, the U.S. economy to handle that high level of increase in interest rates. You had uh, crisis in housing, crisis in commercial real estate, banking crises in early 2023. All of the you had two wars: one in uh, Ukraine, one in Israel. All of these debt ceiling, been, yeah, debt ceiling issues, pr- you know, monetary policy issues. Uh, you had the $33 trillion in debt and counting and you know, major issues with uh, interest expense as a percentage of GDP. All of the uh, you know, items in which the uh, pessimists were pointing to and saying, okay, this is the, this is the point that's really going to tip us over into recession. And so getting these articles like Dietrich wrote uh, a couple of days ago as a reminder of, uh, you know, maybe not all of those narratives are actually correct is really something that's, uh, uh, good to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, what is the state of affairs currently? And then he quotes, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin. I'm not even sure this is a Ben Franklin quote, but he attributes, attributes it to him. He says, there are no gains without pains. And then, uh, jumps into, okay, this is, uh, this is things you don't see in a, a recessions. Number one, Stocks at all-time highs. Uh, we finally. This, this is the Dow Jones. I, I don't think the S and P has uh, has gotten back to where it was in January of 2022, but the Dow has. Uh, Dow has eclipsed uh, where it was two years ago. He says then people traveling and spending a lot, and then we've talked about this. It was either last week or the week before. Just the amount of traffic. This was from uh, Thanksgiving weekend. The amount of traffic. Uh, and travelers, uh, record high travelers on Thanksgiving. Uh, he says consumer spending is still running above trend. Um, so people are still spending. Consumers are in much better shape than the media claims. Real incomes continue to rise. Unemployment is still below uh, 4%. Went to, we had jumped from 34 to 3.9. Now is at 3.7%. Um, matching the lowest level since 1964 or something like that yeah they had this i mean the the big uh the uh going theme for the last 30 days was uh this i think it was called the som rule in in economics where 
uh, anytime there's a 50 basis point increase in unemployment, it's always triggered a recession. So we went from 3.4 to 3.9 and people were pounding the table. Uh, that's just like the inverted yield curve, which we had a couple of years ago. Uh, these are all of our inflation triggers. That proved to be wrong because unemployment came back down over the last month. Um, the issue with all those and- rules of thumb is that there's only been like in modern U.S. history, there's only been like eight or nine recessions or something like that. And so the sample size is so small. Um, yeah, it wouldn't pass a, st- a statistician's uh, you know, framework. The other thing is that it, I think this is this is the theme of, tw- I think, 2020, back half of 2022 and 2023. COVID is just a weird period. We had so much, we had a, a virtual stop to the economy in 2020 a flood of money that came into the system re- to restart the economy, pent up demand, supply chain issues, everything was out of whack. So your old rules of thumb go out the window when, when you're you not like operating trillion dollars in, into the economy yeah. or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, maybe don't take those, maybe skip this period for the rules of thumb and bring, bring them back for the next, uh, the next market cycle. So, um, anyway, uh, this is, uh, this is all good stuff. Manufacturing is much better than, uh, than headlines. So manufacturing construction, uh, this is from, uh, I think this is still from Carson. Uh, yeah. So, uh, real manufacturing construction spend is at an all time high, uh, real computer, electronic, electrical construction spend all time high. I think a lot of that is onshoring from China and the post COVID era. Um, Consumer balance sheets are better than they've ever been. Uh, so again, this is uh, this is so, sort of permeable type talk, and and uh, we like to have a balanced approach on on the podcast and how we're thinking about things. But with so much negativity out there, and the past couple of years, especially being uh, so ex- expectational of uh, recession, it's good to actually get some some real data out there. Yeah. And you're right about the pessimists. They always sound very smart because they sound like they have certainty in, in what the future holds. And of course, nobody knows what the future is going to hold, which is why, um, which is why, uh, permables for people that are, are look to the, to the positivity associated with historically associated with the markets kind of get drowned out because the, what we've talked about this time and time again, but the, the, Normal case, the historical case in the markets is about three out of every four years on average. You have positive rates of return, um, but the permable, pardon me, the perma bears always get the headlines because they sound like they know what they're going to talk about instead of saying, okay, probably it should be a good period. And lo and behold, throughout all the negativity that you had um, addressed in terms of wars, um, political issues, uh, internally and externally, Lo and behold, we have a really positive year in the stock market, and 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 surprisingly, the bond market's really sort of recovered nicely. Um, the ten-year Treasury peaked; it didn't close above five percent, uh, but it, during an intraday session, it it uh, got right above five percent. It's come back down precipitously um, over the last four to six weeks, um, and in fact, the thirty-year and right now it's I think it's four point two percent or something like that. The 30-year Treasury now is at uh, 4.37%, which has also come down significantly. The, the Treasury is the sort of gold standard. It's the what in our industry what we call the risk-free rate, meaning that if you lend your money to the U.S. government, then it's risk-free that you get your money back. 
Of course, people make the argument that that's not really the risk-free rate, but I'll take the opposite position that if the U.S. government defaults on its debts, then we have a lot of problems to, a lot bigger problems to worry about. But the Treasury is, in and of itself is the sort of gold standard and the basis for the returns on other types of investments. And when the yields on Treasuries go down, then the yields on corporate bonds go down because they're tied to, the, you get a premium for, corporates get, corporations get pay a premium above and beyond Treasuries for um, for the for the the money that they lend out, and likewise mortgages, etc. So ultimately, when tre- when Treasury yields go down, uh, corporate bond yields go down, makes it easier and cheaper for corporations to borrow. Mortgages go down, which makes it easier and cheaper for people to buy houses. So there's all these sort of positive things happening in the economy as relates to the yield curve right now. And ultimately, if the Fed slows down and eventually cuts rates, then that should ex- should accelerate growth on the shorter end of the spectrum where um, debt is more cl- closely tied to the Fed funds rate. Um, today, the big news, and and so the market's kind of flat. It, it opened up down. Initially, we had uh, new the new job report from November, um, and the, the economy created 190,000 jobs. The expectation was is that the economy was going to create 183,000 jobs. So it was a beat, meaning that the uh, actual data surpassed what the uh, the consensus view was going to be, and so initially, the what historically not historically, but the the recent drivers of the market are a softening economy is actually a good thing for purposes of the stock market because that means it's going to reaffirm the Fed's um, decision to slow down on raising rates or eventually cut rates. And this this was sort of like another Goldilocks type of jobs report that showed that the economy was still strong despite the fact that interest rates are high, despite the, everything that we talked about in terms of bad news. And additionally, um, the report itself there was a lot of so the the number the headline number one hundred ninety thousand new jobs were created was very positive. But there were in in the in the terms of bad news being good news, there were some things in internally in the composite. Um, they were sort of negative, which the market kind of liked as well, too. Of the 190,000 jobs that were created, 47,000 of those were workers retur- returning from auto strikes. Um, and then 49,000 uh, government jobs were created. Um, and then healthcare added some, which is not a, a cyclical type of composite. And then of the non-cyclical sectors, the economy only added 26,000 jobs, which um, is, is indicative of the government. As part of is indicative of the economy sort of slowing down, which is what, ironically, what the what the market is wanting to see at this point in time. Yeah, I think um, you know the other uh, an interesting question is what happens if the economy doesn't slow down next year, and what what will that do to rates? Um, part of the the question mark going into twenty twenty four will be uh, whether or not the Fed holds rates steady. I don't think any expectation of any increases next year. The probability is almost zero. But uh, when, if and when, uh, will the Fed start cutting interest rates? And that, as you described, has impacts on on various asset classes, mostly um, in fixed income and in real estate uh, from, uh, and really in companies that have a lot of leverage, uh, higher interest rates impact uh, you know, returns to investors across the board there. And so um, that'll be an interesting dynamic for next year. Uh, I think the, the uh, story this year was uh, the impact of interest rates on uh, earnings. And I think in our first or second podcast of the year, we talked about 
this being more of an, an earnings story for 2023 versus an interest rate story like we had in 2022. And the result of that, as we look back on 2023, is that uh, corporations and individuals were a lot more resilient than expected, and that earnings uh, were earnings growth was a lot stronger than was priced into the market at the beginning of the year, which is why you're, you're, you're seeing a strong market, in our opinion, strong market uh, in 2023 versus expectations. Uh, next year, it's it's uh, in, it's probably going to be another interest rate story. You know, how long does the Fed hold rates at at current levels? When do they cut? And uh, and the one of the discussion points, and this was a big piece in March of this year when we had all the banks blowing up, was this looming maturity wall of uh, of corporate real estate uh, or corporate sorry commercial real estate going into 2024, 2025 all of these maturities that are going to be coming due and need to be refinanced. What's going to happen when uh, all those, uh, those sponsors have to re- refinance at seemingly higher rates. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. I know that we're, we're seeing already some pain in real estate um, and expected pain coming into 2024, especially if rates are still high. Uh, that'll be an interesting dynamic uh, for next year. Yeah, uh, And if anyone's interested in learning more about that particular issue, um, we've referenced Odd Lots as a podcast um, that's run by Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway from Bloomberg. And they dive into that specific topic in uh, a lot of detail. But essentially, and I listened to it this past week, um, essentially, they, they had an, a, an individual on who's an expert in the multifamily space. And in terms of the, the investment in the multifamily space in 2021 and 2022, there was like an exponential investment in Sunbelt multifamily real estate, like Phoenix, for example. And um, people are paying huge premiums and rents are falling off a cliff, basically, in some of those places. So that's a that's a a, a microcosm of we've talked a lot about uh, uh, commercial real estate, specifically office um, and, and multifamily is a, a big risk as it relates to that specific uh, space, too. Um, it's probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest segments of commercial real estate. Um, but yeah, in, in any event, yeah, so off. Office was the story of 2022. I think uh, uh, apartments, multifamily will be the story of 2023. I'm sorry, of 2024. Uh, office is the story of 2023. Apartments will be the story of 2024, at least the way things are going. Uh, but it's just a supply demand. That was That's more of a supply demand issue. I mean, you had so, such limited supply and such high demand during COVID as people were leaving these big cities and going to um, – you know, the Phoenix, the Austins of the world, Vegas and, uh, Vegas. And then, so you had all these syndicators and developers that came in, built up all this, but these apartments take, you know, two or three years to build. And so all of a sudden people are going back to where they came from, or, uh, that, that demand is being met with supply, but now there's too much supply. And their interest rates rates are a lot higher than what they're underwriting. Yeah. Yeah. So So it's, it's a, it's a, uh, there's storm clouds on the horizon in that segment of real estate. Um, speaking of the, that, and, and the other th- interesting thing was, and they talk about this in quite a lot of detail on that particular podcast, is that the valuations on a lot of these like really rundown buildings in Phoenix, for example, were, re- were reaching I mean, like all time highs for no reason, essentially. Um, and the only return prospects were on somebody paying a higher value for the, the like an existing real estate project than what the the individuals that were buying it paid for it. So. A lot of uh, froth in that particular space in the 20, 
2000 to 2021 ish timeframe. Same thing could be said about a lot of um, these COVID stocks, um, like for example, Peloton or whatever that was at one point in time was like 140 or $150 a share when everybody and their mom was riding the Peloton and talking about Peloton classes and everything. And, and everybody thought that that nobody who would want to go back to an exercise class ever again. And lo and behold, of course, nobody wants to ride their Peloton now, except for Doug. Uh, Doug, have you been riding it by the way? No, it's a, it's basically a close, uh, close rack. Right. right exactly. Now. So <laughs> Peloton stock at one point in COVID was $150 a share. And I think it got, and I think it's like $5 a share. Now the same thing could be said of, of a lot of, um, of companies from that point in time. And, and ones that I really, you, you'd hear the name of them on social media, but you honestly don't know what they do, like data dog and lemonade and all this stuff that were going up hundred percent a month or whatever. Um, this is, I, I found this and we'll, we'll talk, we'll, I'm referencing this because there's a, there was a Twitter thread that somebody pulled up from July of 2021 that an individual by the name of Brian Feroldi Fer- posted that said it said what he he pulled his his uh the, his followers what company is worth less than ten billion dollars today but you think could be worth five hundred billion dollars plus in a few decades and he received seven hundred and ten answers and he said here are the top twenty stocks that have fifty x fifty times meaning your your existing dollar one dollar investment is worth fifty in the future potential and he goes and lists them off and. Uh, and I'll, I'm not going to go through all all of them, but Alteryx is number one. Boston Omaha Beyond Meat is number three. Desktop Metals and so on and so on. And somebody somebody this past this past week posted that this is the the, the funniest 2020, 2020 to 2021 bubble thread of the 20 stocks that this guy's uh, followers listed. Only one of the stocks has a positive return, and several are down 90 percent. Um, so pretty hilarious and indicative of the froth that existed in that particular space and the sort of charlatans that were gathering capital. Um, and the same thing was happening in the real estate market as well, too, as we're talking about. Yeah. And what else, what I'll say about that, uh, at least the good news about the market today is that those particular stocks are still down 90% plus, meaning that sort of froth hasn't reentered the marketplace. We're, we're a lot healthier now than we were in 2021. I remember when, uh, you know, I was at breakfast one time and, and the waiter was saying that, that, you know, he was buying GameStop stop to, um, you know, destroy the suits or whatever it was. So <laughs> when you start, when you start hearing stuff like that, it's, uh, it's time to run for the Hills. And I think right now you have more fear than greed. And typically, um, that's a positive for markets. They climb that wall of worry. You know, I heard something uh, going back into optimism on markets, I heard something on the Compound podcast on my way into the office today, and they and Ben Carlson uh, quoted. Uh, we need to uh, double check this, but it's just an amazing statistic that the market is up twenty percent or more uh, more often than it's down at all, and um, wow. and just it's and so they were talking similarly about uh, optimism versus pessimism and. And really, the the question that comes to mind in that sort of situation is not necessarily what can go wrong, but what can go right to really pr- provide for that twenty percent plus return year, because that's going to be the more likelihood event if you look at market history versus trying to uh, prognosticate and pick that 
that negative year and and become another Michael Burry or big short type person and, and get famous that way. It's just uh, generally an exercise in futility. Yeah, but you sound smart doing it. And and Burry Burry at he he was so right on his uh, big short call and made a fortune. But he was also he, he these guys use this this uh, fame that they um, that they obtain and make, making their one right call in their career as uh as base as a basis that they're going to be right in the future and this guy burry and i think it was in january or february was calling he, he like posted a cryptic tweet um on twitter that said just sell and the markets are probably up i don't know several you know 15 or 20 percent since that point in time there's no sort of recourse for um for these people they're just trying to get more notoriety so they can gather more capital or so they can intimidate people to sell along with them or, or whatever so that their bet is right. Um, but that lo and behold, the, it looks like it, and we still have a few weeks left, but it's been a, a solid year. Um, and, um, it's been in the face of that, that negativity that you referenced in a lot of detail and the fact that there are charlatans along the way calling for the end of the world related to each one of them. And eventually one of those issues is going to cause a broader, um, bear market correction, et cetera, they happen. It's just a part of the process. And the difficulty of course, is that you never know which one is going to be, which 10% correction is going to turn into a 15 or 20 or 30 or 40. Um, but if you go in, into the investment landscape with the expectation that every decade or so you're going to get like, you know, a solid 30, at least 30% correction. We've had, I don't know, Doug, you and I have been in the business now for 12 years or whatever, 13 years. We've had one or close to one or two of those at this point. Just so happens that we've had a couple of them the last, two, like we had yeah, COVID. I was talking to somebody, I was talking to somebody about that this week. It's been a really rough five years from a volatility perspective. The fourth quarter of 2018, you had a 20% decline in markets. Uh, 2020, you had a 35% decline in three weeks. 2022, we were down. Um, north of 25 percent at one point 28 um, percent. i remember i was like yeah yeah it hadn't it hadn't been easy and but um but that's that's the nature of the beast yeah and but preceding that the market said like hadn't had a 10 percent correction at for at one point i don't think for like five years so things come in waves um and hopefully we're approaching one of those positive waves that's we've taken our medicine so to speak and hopefully we have some uh, moderation in the markets because it has been a volatile period of time. Um, and the people that have been, that have dealt with it and have been buying into it have obviously been rewarded. Um, and that's the difficult thing. The easy thing is to say, well, I can't take it anymore. I want to get out. Um, but it's the history has shown that people that, um, that accept that price of admission associated with volatility and has been rewarded, uh, as a, as a result of dealing with the volatility in the markets. The interesting, another interesting thing about the last few years too is that the um, historically bonds have provided sort of a, a hedge against stocks. Meaning, when stocks go down, bonds go up, um, and that didn't really work, which is another interesting dynamic. Um, there's always as as time goes on, there's precedents that are going to be broken, and that was a precedent that was broken recently um, in terms of uh, bonds having their worst two or three year stretch on record. Um, but that's another positive thing that yields are high now. And so retirees or people that have money in fixed income know they're going to receive a lot, lot higher rate of return than they would have in the past. Um, and additionally, now that the, the rates are higher, the Fed has a lot of flexibility in terms of combating 
any sort of financial difficulty because they could, because now they can cut rates in response to any sort of financial difficulty. So in terms of the, the sort of volatility and the things we've been dealing with, there's a lot of positivity and the stage is, the stage is set for a nice run. Um, there's obviously th- anything can happen. Um, but on the bond side of the equation, we know where we're going to get the feds equipped now to cut rates. They've got flexibility because rates are high. And then stocks also really, stocks haven't done a whole lot in the last couple of years. Um, the SP 500 still hasn't eclipsed its 2021 all time high, or is it 2022, 2021? Yeah. Well, January 1st of 2022, yeah, January 1st, of 2022. So markets haven't done a whole lot in the last couple of years, but earnings have been going up. So valuations are a lot more attractive than what they were is what that equates to. So this, things are, things are looking pretty good right now. Um, but it's, it really just goes to, it goes to show you that patience, um, historically has been rewarded um, and and the stage is really set for uh, positivity in stocks and bonds but of course we shall see yep so we'll leave it at that um we hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and uh hope everyone is enjoying the lead up to holiday season and we'll be back next week uh give us five stars and share with your friends thanks for listening to this episode of lanyap This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.